electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, McDonald's, Apple, and a few states are rolling back reopening plans. That's a setback, obviously. That's why we use companies like this as a bellwether, because no matter what you're hearing from government officials, those companies are are cautious. Cisco is managing cybersecurity and connectivity amid a health and social crisis. CEO Chuck Robbins. We all have more work to do. We have to do the things we need to do for, for our communities, frankly, and we have to be a part of helping resolve this crisis. Author, entrepreneur, investor, social media master, and wine geek Gary Vaynerchuk on his deal with alcohol behemoth Constellation Brands. This is one of those one plus one equals 11 where both sides of the equation bring so much value, it becomes a no-brainer. And why Gary Vee is doubting the companies who've pulled their Facebook ad spending in the Stop Hate for Profit campaign. To stop on Facebook and not to stop all your internet advertising is just hypocrisy. Those stories plus an all-star tech CEO lineup is heading to Congress for antitrust testimony. And we made it. Some plans for the holiday weekend. I'm talking margaritas, palomas, and, and yes... I drink quite a bit of Chardonnay with my finger up in the air with my wife, and I'm, I'm man enough t- uh, to admit it. It's Thursday, July 2nd, 2020. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. So it's not Thursday, or it's not Friday, but it, feels, it does feel like a Friday. It is. Three-day weekend. Isn't time? Well, it's July. Did you, did, did you guys realize that? I know. It is July. It's July 2nd. July 2nd. I believe. Why does time go so fast when you're not doing anything? I, I thought time was supposed to crawl when you're at home, you know, twiddling your... It's, it's weird. It's a weird Because we're older. Trust me, our kids think it's crawling by from okay. home. Yeah. Well, right. you know, when it's one... Yeah. A year is, you know, a sixth of your life. Yeah. I, I do think no, but there, there's also, something to that. Yeah. They're, they're also, you know, champing at the bit. They want to get back out. And uh, I'm sure I'm, I'm pretty content to stay home. So I know everybody's together. I, I, I think, you know, yeah. not away at school and stuff. I think there will be a time when we look back and not look at it positively, but it, just say, wow, it's nice to have the, the family. Uh, you got to take the upside. First up on today's podcast, an update on the American jobs market. According to the Labor Department's report this morning, a day early due to the July 4th holiday, the U.S. economy added 4.8 million jobs in June. That's well over what experts were expecting. In step with the payrolls, the unemployment rate dropped to 11.1%, also better than expected. The markets on this news responded positively, but economists are already looking ahead to next month's report. Today's numbers are only through the middle of June, which means they don't include the impact of the pauses and reclosings that have begun across the nation. As COVID cases spike, some businesses and some states are hunkering back down. Here's Andrew. California and Arizona are reporting record increases in new cases yesterday of COVID-19. California officials said some of those cases were confirmed earlier but had been left out of previous tallies due to a backlog 
in reporting among local health departments. Now, California's governor ordering indoor businesses, that includes restaurants, to close in 19 counties. It includes Los Angeles, Orange County, San Bernardino, and Santa Barbara. Arizona is saying its single-day record of 4,900 cases was also partially due to a lag in reporting, as well as a ramp-up in testing. But the state's hospitalizations have also been climbing. Now, earlier this week, officials said the state's capacity of ICU beds was at 89 percent occupied. Meanwhile, Pennsylvania's governor announcing new orders requiring residents to wear masks when they leave their homes. The seven-day average of new cases there up 21 percent. Florida's Miami-Dade and Broward counties are also now requiring face masks in all public spaces. Michigan rolling back indoor seating in bars in much of that state, but will still allow outdoor seating and to go cocktails. And, um, and Joe, you've got, you've got the news here now on McDonald's. I know, and you're going to be very impressed with how, what I'm able to do here, Andrew, because McDonald's announcing late yesterday it's pausing reopening plans for 21 days. So the company's going to wait three weeks, it says here. What do you think of that? How quickly. 21 days, up, three weeks. How quickly Very we smart. came up with it. In case you didn't, you know, the 21 days is confusing. And in case you didn't know, uh, they're going to wait. Th- we'll do the math for you. Uh, three weeks before any new U.S. restaurants add dine-in service uh, to the currently operating drive-through, takeout, uh, and delivery that they're offering at some uh, locations. About 2,200 of the 14,000 stores currently allow, allow customers uh, to eat inside. And um, that's a setback, obviously. And this is a setback because remember the market was up on a day a couple weeks ago. And the first sign, and people at the time said Apple is very, uh, very cautious. Remember, I've, they, they closed a certain number of the Apple stores. And now this, yeah. is just, uh, this is just more from Apple. The company plans to close an additional 30 stores uh, this week in the United States, including several in the Los Angeles area. And that brings the total to 77 uh, reclosed stores out of 271 uh, that had reopened. The initial closure was, was it in the teens? I think it was like 19 or, or something. But that was, yeah. uh, you know, kind of a stark uh, data point a couple of weeks ago that things were, were not yeah. pr- pr- proceeding quite uh, mm-hmm. as smoothly. And you know what? If you've been, and I know, you know, Andrew, you, like, hang out there. But if you've been to an Apple store, you know there's no social, it's hard, very hard to social distance in an Apple store because right. there's so many people right. always in there milling around. Family uh, tables, they're yep. crowded. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I remember we used them as a bellwether back in China, too, when they first reopened the stores in China. And we took that and yeah. I think the Starbucks reopenings kind of as a, a, a very serious sign. You may not believe what the Chinese are saying, but if you have those companies opening up there, they must feel fairly confident with it. Um, and that's why we use companies like this as a bellwether, because no matter what you're hearing from government officials, those companies are, are cautious. They are careful with their own employees, too. Right. Right. CEOs from four tech giants, Apple, Amazon, Facebook, and Google, have all agreed to testify before the House Judiciary Committee as part of its antitrust investigation. That probe is expected to produce new legislative proposals to try and reform and regulate the digital marketplace. Reports say that the hearings could take place later this month, although it's not clear if it would be held in person or via video. This would be the first congressional testimony for Jeff Bezos. And I I think Tim Cook was the last to agree to this, if if what I read last night was correct, Andrew. 
Uh, I think it was. I think it was. I think it's going to be scheduled for the last week of July. I want to say in the oh. is it in the twenty sixth. I don't know if the date's been made public yet, but I know that's what they're they were floating around, and there was a lot of um, debate and consternation among the tech companies, and of course um, uh, our our congressional leaders about uh, about how this would all go down. And it'll be very interesting to see. Who gets the focus this time? Is it going to be Mark Zuckerberg? Is it going to be Jeff Bezos, given that he's not been uh, public uh, and, and, and nearly as outspoken uh, in, in, in the past uh, year relative to some of these other uh, players? It's going to be Apple uh, or, or, of course, Alphabet. But um, it's going to be must-watch must watch, uh, TV. So uh, we'll see. Next on Squawk Pod, CEO of telecom giant and WebEx owner Cisco, Chuck Robbins on his company's responsibility to foster connections and inclusion across the globe. What we fundamentally do is we connect people all around the world. And when you connect people, even in remote regions around the world, you give them the opportunity to participate in the global economy. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. 2020's year of crisis has redefined what we expect of leadership in America, and the corner offices, hiring managers, and voices on Wall Street conference calls are no exception. This year, more has been expected of corporate leaders, keeping workers safe and connected, executing in the middle of a global pandemic that shut down enormous industries overnight, and responding to national and personal anxiety when unarmed black man George Floyd was killed by police and protests erupted across our cities. America's bosses have a lot on their plates. Yesterday, AT&T's executive chairman, former CEO Randall Stevenson, joined us to discuss a policy recommendation from the Business Roundtable, the advocacy group representing CEOs. Corporate America has advised Congress to pass police reform legislation, setting up things like national policing standards, ending chokeholds and no-knock warrants by the August recess. Americans are saying this needs to be dealt with. Candidly, it's not being dealt with yet. It is stuck. And so can the business community lend our voice to this? And do we have a voice to lend to this? Is it relevant for the business community to step in? And look, I got to tell you, if, if, if we don't have justice for all citizens, if there's a segment of our citizenry that is precluded from just treatment, then you're not going to have tranquility. You're not going to have peace. You're not going to have civility. That's just not good for anybody, whether it's business or whether it's the communities in general. Today on Squawk Pod, we bring you an interview with Cisco CEO Chuck Robbins about how this year of change, and it's only halfway through, has reinvented his goals and the way a nearly $200 billion company thinks about the future. Cisco creates computer networking, is literally providing my remote access right now to my CNBC operating system and my files, and they are powering the hundreds of millions of WebEx remote conferencing logins over the past few months. Here's Chuck Robbins, CEO of Cisco, with Becky Quick. All of us as CEOs are now being asked by our employees, by our customers, by society, frankly, 
to stand up and actually impact some of these issues that exist. And uh, that's what we're trying to do. And whether it's racial inequality that we've seen recently, uh, increasing the, you know, the representation of black employees inside our companies, the promotion rates, we all have more work to do on these things. Uh, looking at issues like climate, I mean, all of these are responsibilities that we all have to take very seriously. And candidly, we're all building them into our plans as we move forward and making sure that we're focused on them. I know that you've had some very specific things that you've been working on at Cisco. Uh, at the beginning of June, you postponed your Cisco live meeting that, that had been there, had been anticipated because of what we were seeing with coronavirus and some other issues. When you came out two weeks later with it, you announced that there had been a corporate mindset change at the company and that uh, you're working on building an inclusive future. What, what does that mean? You know, we've been working on our, our new purpose statement for the company for about nine months, honestly. And uh, for years, it had been changing the way the world lives, works, learns, and plays. And we felt like it was time for us to, to really restate what we believed we, we stood for. And if you look at our technology, what we fundamentally do is we connect people all around the world. And when you connect people, even in remote regions around the world, you give them the opportunity to participate in the global economy. You give them the opportunity to be educated. You give them the opportunity to receive health care. And so we think that that combined with what we believe about our responsibility socially does lead us to a purpose where we power an inclusive future for all. On the issue of racial injustice, you know, fortuitously, we started an engagement with our black employees back last year. And in January, we had a session where my entire leadership team spent hours one afternoon listening to our employees. They told us about their experience working at Cisco, the good, the bad, the, everything we needed to know. And we kicked off a 100-day sprint where we tried to go uh, deal with some of the issues, accelerate some of the things they liked. We tackled, we've already tackled issues like pay parity a few years ago, but we, we now tackle promotion parity. How can we make sure that our black employees are being promoted at the same rate as others. And so there are numerous activities that are going on inside the company. And I think this issue uh, has been brewing for a very long time. And it's time for all of us to take it seriously. And it's time for us to deal with it. Hey, Chuck, on top of that, I, I know that from a corporate perspective, you are also talking about now donating half a billion dollars to, to charity. I think that started out at the beginning of the year where you were focusing on um, helping the homeless in, in California and some other places, but it's expanded beyond that, and, and you've now announced more. What role do corporations play on this front? What changes can you make? And where is that money going to be directed? You know, early on when the pandemic hit, Becky, we basically said, look, we, we have to do the things we need to do for, for our communities, frankly, and we have to be a part of helping resolve this crisis. And so we set up a four-pillar framework at the time where we were going to focus first and foremost on the most vulnerable in our communities. I mean, you have homeless, you know, the homeless community in San Jose, as an example. I mean, th this virus is, is attacking them uh, as badly as any group of people in the country. There are people who live paycheck to paycheck that were furloughed or laid off. They didn't know where they were going to get their groceries. So we worked hard on that. So the first pillar was the most vulnerable. The second was just focusing on families in our community. We did things like opened up our daycare centers to children of first responders. The third pillar was around research and resilience and how do we support those efforts to actually find vaccines. And the fourth is around strategic recovery, like how do we work with higher education and industries that have to change to adapt to what's going on and, and build a hybrid model around education or health care, how it has to change with the advent of telehealth finally 
coming to our healthcare system. So we just believe that uh, through uh, product, a lot of that was product that we gave through free offers just to get people up and running from home. Uh, much of it was cash, as, uh, as you called out, and uh, those are the areas that we focused on. Chuck, let's talk about operating a tech business in a time of pandemic. Obviously, people are looking to companies like Cisco and some of your competitors uh, to reach out to their colleagues, to their families, to others like they've never had to do before. It's been an incredibly unusual year. Now, I know in terms of WebEx users, I think you had 500 million WebEx users for the month of April. But then you also had upstarts like like Zoom that, that saw a lot more activity, a lot more name recognition than they would had seen in the past as well. I had seen one report that showed that you guys are still far and away the leaders when it comes to video conferencing, but they, they showed Zoom making some, some big inroads, I think up from 13% in the first quarter a year ago to about 28% in the first quarter uh, this year. What, what do you think of, of those other companies, and what do you think of Cisco's ability to stay on top in this arena? Well, you know, we have, um, <clears throat> in January, we were the largest platform in the world, and by the time we hit April, that platform had tripled in volume, and our teams did an amazing job of actually you know, supporting that capacity. And look, we, we have a very robust, you know, portfolio of solutions in this space that were built with privacy, built with security in mind, built for our corporate customers to run their board meetings, to have intellectual property discussions. And those are the things that our customers are continuing to use this technology for. This is no longer about casual conversations over video and casual meetings. This is about our customers are discussing their valuable intellectual property on these platforms, and we have to ensure we have privacy, security, and those are the things that we focus on, and that's why our customers continue to lean on this technology. And when you build all that in, it, it, it is a, more, a little more robust and a little more complicated to deploy. And for the consumers, I think some sim a simple solution is good. For our high-end enterprise customers, they still lean on WebEx to provide them the privacy and the security that they need. Hey, Chuck, we've talked to a lot of companies, and some of them have been pretty upfront about how they're, they're going to have to cut their budgets because they've seen their own revenue drop pretty significantly. One of the first places that you see budget cuts come is on things like marketing and advertising. Um, but I would imagine that corporations may be more willing to spend when it comes to technology infrastructure, particularly when they are trying to make sure that they are keeping things safe, that they are allowing their employees, if possible, to work from home. So what, what have you seen from companies in terms of being willing to spend money on technology, even at a time when corporate budgets have to come down? Well, I think that all of our customers had a splurge of spending to to get through this transition to work from home. So they all they beefed up their security. They they obviously took advantage of these platforms like WebEx. And I think that it, there's not one answer for customers today. Different industries are impacted in different ways. So you you know you see industries like airlines and hospitality that are struggling. You see the pharmaceuticals and financials doing okay. And so every, every industry is in a bit of a different spot. But what I'd say generally right now is that there's, there's still too much uncertainty in the system uh, for our customers. And so there's a lot of customers who are, are still thinking through, trying to figure out what is it we can do? What's, what was our business going to look like 90 days from now? What's it going to look like six months from now? Because every time we get some good news, you get a re, you know, we get this reemergence and this explosion in cases right now that has people wondering what, what's really going to happen over the next six months. So I think there's still just too much uncertainty in the system. And uh, I think we've, we've got to get some of these issues resolved and we have to make more progress on this economic reopening in a way that is safe, that people feel good about. And then I think we'll have more clarity. Until then, I just don't think we will. 
Chuck, does this break down geographically at all? Are there companies maybe in Asia that feel like they've come through further on this? Or is this a, a global problem where people look around and say we are only as safe as the latest place that's seen an outbreak? Well, you know, I was on the phone this week with a couple of customers in Asia, and I think they're cautiously optimistic. So obviously they went into this pandemic earlier and they're beginning to come out of it. I think it's still early to see how it's going to happen. You see places like Singapore that started to come back and then and then have seen a little bit of a, you know, some hot spots in, in their country, but I think they're dealing with it well. So I think it's a little early yet, but our expectation would be that we would see it ramp in the same order that it went that we went into it. So you'd see Asia come back, then Europe, and then the U.S. ultimately. Uh, but uh, again, I still think it's early, and we have to see how this thing plays out. You're, you're headquartered in California, and we've seen the moves that, that Governor Newsom there has, has made recently about rolling back some of the reopenings, um, requiring people to wear face masks. What, what's it like operating a business there, and, and what are you doing with your employees in California? Well, first of all, I think that uh, the state has done a really good job. It was one of the first states to, to, to close down and make sure that we were trying to stay safe. Santa Clara County's even been more aggressive. Uh, and uh, with our employees, the great news is, is that we have an affinity to work from home. I mean, we build this technology. So this is a natural motion for us. We're, we're not really used to doing it this long, but it's a very natural motion for us. So we're just taking it day by day. Uh, you know, our essential employees are in the offices where they need to be working in labs, building hardware, doing the things that we need to do for our customers. Our supply chain teams are working very hard and have done just an incredible job. But uh, for those people who don't need to be in the office, we're going to take this slowly and, and obviously make sure that safety's first for them. And we'll just uh, see how the next couple of months go. How has coronavirus really transformed the digital business of companies as, as companies try to do exactly what you just discussed? I think that obviously there's been a lot of discussion around this multi-year acceleration of digital transitions with customers. I think what it has done is it has accelerated the ability to work in a distributed fashion for sure. That, that into itself doesn't equate a digital transformation, but it definitely has done that. It has, it has made clear to many CEOs, many of my peers, that we can actually work productively this way. It doesn't mean we want to do it every day, but we can work productively this way. And uh, I think that the other thing it highlighted is that those customers who have invested in their technology, architecture, and infrastructure made that transition much easier. So I think what it says to CEOs is that when they're able to, from a CapEx perspective or when they have more visibility in their business, feel better about their business, and that may be today or it may be six months or maybe a year and a half from now, they, they realize the importance of making sure they have the foundation in place You know, when we see the next crisis that we see. So I think that's really what's happened. Chuck, we appreciate your time today. It is great to see you. Um, thank you for joining us, and we'll talk to you again soon. Next on Squawk Pod, the entrepreneur behind VaynerMedia, VaynerX, and 12 million social media followers, Gary Vee. He struck a boozy deal with Constellation Brands. The reality is that Nate, John, and I, my founders, wanted to produce the greatest $20 wine direct to consumer. And how that big alcohol brand is trying to lift up some smaller ones. President of Constellation's Wine and Spirits Division, Robert Hansen. Access to capital is one of the most critical issues in the black community. You know, represent about 13% of the population but they get access to about 1% of the capital. We'll be right back. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Yeah! 
or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at... 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Here's Joe Kernan. Feels like a Friday. I'm going to pretend it's a Friday, and there's definitely some booze uh, in my future. I can tell you that. Let's start with some booze news to kick off the holiday weekend. Constellation Brands announcing an uh, acquisition of direct-to-consumer wine brand Empathy Wine. Join us now uh, with more on the drinker's deal. Gary Vaynerchuk, co-founder of Empathy Wines, founder and CEO of VaynerMedia, and Robert Hansen, president of Wine and Spirits at Constellation Brands. And guys, uh, it's just uh, near and dear to my heart. I'll tell you, uh, beer, I don't know. It's just too hard for me at this point. <laughs> so uh, I, I'm talking margaritas, palomas, and, and yes, I drink quite a bit of Chardonnay with my, with my finger up in the air with my wife. And I'm, I'm man enough t- uh, to admit it. So, Gary, um, you don't start companies to sell this quickly. And, and, and I don't know if people know your history, but what did I read? You, you, would, you did re- diaper recycling when you were a year and a half old and made like $100,000 or something? What, what was your first? <laughs> what was your first? Uh, no, it was lemonade at seven, right? At seven years old? That's right. And, and, and never, Edison, New Jersey, not far from here. Yeah, and never stopped since then. So you just, you just um, created empathy last year, right? And, and normally you wouldn't be willing to sell now but it was just too good to pass up the way Constellation can, can take this to the, next, to the next level, next five levels. Constellation is the leading wine business in the world, and the reality is that Nate, John, and I, my founders, wanted to produce the greatest $20 wine direct to consumer. And the reality of the winemaking, the vineyards, the infrastructure, I mean, Constellation is not only years, not only decades, but centuries ahead of where we are just 18 months into this process. So, yeah, this is one of those one plus one equals 11, where both sides of the equation bring so much value, it becomes a no-brainer. So you're right, not in kind of my DNA to sell businesses, um, but uh, but here we are. This is a time where we're all dealing with things, I guess, Robert, and, and Restaurants and bars are such a huge uh, generator of revenue for Constellation. It, but when that's not possible, you got to go with the direct or, or you got to go where, what pe- with what people are doing. And this fits in perfectly with that, right? Like a wine library type thing, which was another Gary company. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, Gary and I have been talking about this uh, opportunity for over nine months now. So it was certainly pre the COVID crisis, but uh, you're right. The consumers really shifted their uh, consumption during during the COVID crisis. Uh, Pre-COVID, only about a third of people knew you could buy wine online. Now that number is 80 to 90%. And, you know, we loved Empathy for two reasons, really. Uh, uh, the brand itself is fantastic, as Gary mentioned, you know, incredible quality wine at $20 a bottle. Uh, but it's also sustainably farmed, farmed to bottle 
it's sold direct from their winery direct to consumer. It's a digital native brand. And they built the brand on an incredible platform, Shopify Plus, which is so consumer focused, which is unique for the wine business. Uh, and their insights and analytics, plus their speed and agility of innovation are super compelling to us because we'll be able to apply that same business model to our high-end portfolio. Robert Mondavi Winery, See Me, The Prisoner Wine Company, uh, Trader, Tokolon Vineyard Company. So the opportunity to do both things and to scale the business Gary and John and Nate created, 15,000 cases can be scaled up dramatically, but also to drive significant growth, above market growth with the rest of our portfolio. So the revenue in this environment is not as good, but the, the margins are much higher for, for DTC, for direct-to-consumer. Yeah, the, the growth is actually dramatically higher in the digital commerce channels than the regular market. Uh, we've seen the consumer really pivot. So let's say in DTC, uh, there's been about seven to 10 years of development over the last three months. If you, we were in a regular cycle, it would have taken much longer. But given what's occurred during COVID-19 and how consumers are choosing digital commerce, the growth rates have been incredible. Uh, D, uh, DTC is growing at more than two times the rate of the general market. Uh, we've seen numbers from 50% increases to about 500% increases across our brand portfolio. The platforms like Drizzly and Instacart are also growing at that rate. So uh, it, it's a terrific growth opportunity for us. And as you say, the margins in a direct-to-consumer business are usually 15 to 20% higher uh, than our wholesale business. So, Gary, the, the whole Facebook, uh, what's happening, and I know there's going to be, you're going to take at least the month of July off uh, at but at Constellation, I guess. So, but but Gary, Gary, you point out you've st- talked to a lot of CMOs and CEOs. They're mad, but they they can't even point a finger at what they think needs to be done or or, or what they're angry about. What what? How do we navigate through this and actually, you know, affect yeah. something positive instead of just I don't know instead of just the headlines? I, I think you're right. I think there's a lot of hypocrisy in this execution, when you look at almost every other digital platform, if you look at print media, if you look at television media, the brand safety to some of the stuff that they don't want on there, it's happening in, to stop on Facebook and not to stop all your internet advertising is just hypocrisy. If I can jump in on that just for a second, because Gary and I have been talking about it, and I agree with his view that you have to look at your whole ecosystem. But one thing's you know really clear for Constellation Brands, and Gary and John and Nate and I have made this decision for empathy as well, is, look, we category, categorically deny anything that's associated with bigotry or racism or hate speech, um, anything that would incite violence. And we're doing a lot to truly try to combat social injustice and inequity. Uh, we're investing $100 million in black and minority-owned businesses, made a million-dollar uh, donation to uh, the, um, the Social Justice Initiative, um, Equal Justice initiative uh, to support their mission as well as to help educate our employees. And we're uh, really uh, uplifting our approach to how we're developing our black employees, bringing them into the company training and making sure they've got career development opportunities. But this this issue on, on Facebook and Instagram is really important because we want to take a step back and look at the total social and digital ecosystem and make sure we're aligning our media practices with uh, platforms that actually share our values and are doing their part to make uh, business a, uh, a source for positive social change. I know uh, your boss, Robert, was on with Jim last night. So all the all the metrics came out on the uh, on the actual numbers uh, from Constellation. And uh, you got a pot company, too? Jeez, I don't have to. I, this is one-stop shopping for me tonight. Uh, I, I, I mean, I get wine and uh, just, just write down gummies, something like, <laughs> something like that. Anyway, gentlemen, and, and, you know, uh, Robert, the, 
the small seeding small uh, small businesses in whatever business you're in 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 black communities that that is you know we've had more and more individuals on that that they they that's that's uh, the old John Hope Bryan hand up not a handout hand up and then we'll take it from there and and run with it and and that that's so that's I think the only way to do this effectively yeah, as, as Bill shared last night you know the the access to capital is one of the most critical issues in the black community Agreed. you know represent about 13% of the population, but they get access to about 1% of the capital. So we're really excited about the $100 million investment that we're making in black and minority-owned businesses, because it, it really solves a problem, and it should be being done much more broadly across the economy. All right. So oh, we got to go. But Gary, so you got a good Chardonnay for 20 bucks, And don't laugh at me. I, I, I know if I, if I was cool, I'd be drinking red. But I like it out on the ter- you know, outside with the, on, a, on a cool night. Is Mondavi. It- Simi. Okay. All right. I can't tell the difference anyway. That you could give me Boone's Farm. No problem. Yeah, you can. You know Keep what? Drinking for, more, you'll learn. For me, <laughs> it's never been about vintage year. It's been about alcohol content, typically. Uh, that's the only number I really look at. Anyway, thank you. Uh, <laughs> thanks, both, both of you gentlemen, uh, this morning. Thanks for playing along. That's Squawk Pod for today and for the week. Tomorrow we are off. The markets are closed in observance of the July 4th holiday. We will be back with new podcasts after the weekend. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern and subscribe to Squawk Pod. Tell a friend about us, maybe at a virtual Independence Day celebration. And tweet us comments, thoughts at Squawk CNBC. Have a good long weekend. We'll meet you back here on Monday. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. 